welcome to What in the World Language Podcast. I'm here today with none other than the man himself, Jim Senior Woolly Woolridge. <laughs> welcome, Jim. Thank you very much today, and I'm happy to be here. So we're here at IFLT 19 in sunny St. Petersburg, Florida. How do you feel? Very, very hot St. Petersburg, Florida. Yeah, that seems to be the consensus. Is the it? Hot yeah, it and is hot. Humid. Yeah, but I left Chicago and apparently it's there too. So like uh, my wife, my kids are all... Yeah, you don't have the humidity. Oh no, man. You Chicago. don't have any idea. Chicago gets humid in the summer. I, actually, I've never been to Chicago, so... so you don't really know right. what you're talking I about, do you? Not at all. <laughs> so... Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank um, you for having me here. Uh, well, I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you're here and you're, you're willing to answer a few questions. Yeah. Um, so we're just going to talk a little bit today about IFLT 19 takeaways. And yeah. Hopefully, get to know you a little more and in the process. So, uh, without any further ado, uh, let's go ahead and get started. Let's do it. So, um, tell us, Jim, what what exactly are you doing here? At IFLT this year, presenting. No, I came here to do the podcast. Oh well, fantastic! You are definitely yeah in the right place. Yeah, I'm really excited. So, I mean, that's you, why you, that's why I agreed to this, man. You you heard it from the man himself. <laughs> He's here just this, for me. This for is an what honor. in the world language podcast. Uh, <laughs> this I, is a first, literally, and yeah. So yeah. I mean, yes, I'm here for the podcast, um, pretty much entirely. But I figured as long as I'm here, I'll do a couple of things as well. So yeah, so I've been here. Um, this is the third year in a row. Uh, third year, yeah, wow. third year. I did the fir- my first one uh, in uh, Colorado, Denver, two years ago when I was the keynote there. That was my first conference, and you were the keynote. And that is, and that's where we met. That's where. No, absolutely. Yes, it, it was in a restaurant. Oh right, I remember and that you, very well. And you, I was sitting alone, and you invited me to your table. And it was a big mistake. <laughs> Huge mistake. <laughs> Little did you, you know come, what you were getting into. Can't come back from that. <laughs> so three years, four years later, we are now um, friends. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, we can call it that. I'm, I'm using air quotes. Okay, but, friend, uh, you can't. Yeah, this is radio. You can't. Or this is podcasting. It's podcasting radio. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's where we met. So See you're. That. Awesome. So, so, uh, so here at IFLT, uh, yeah, uh, the main thing that I've been really excited about sharing lately with is just this this idea of teaching with graphic novels. Uh, it's the I'm super passionate about it, uh, just because I think that uh, I look around, I see, um, uh, I, I see all these amazing activities, all these amazing resources that CI teachers are embracing, but what I don't see are a lot of usage of graphic novels in these classrooms, and it's and it's a bit of a mystery to me because it is so perfect it is perfect for the graph they for the ci perfect. classroom there's a lot of readers out there right right you know for different levels and they're beautiful fluency matters Absolutely. has a lot of beautiful readers yeah it's not um, about putting like one medium above another but you know ela teachers they figured out 20 years ago uh, about just how valuable these were for emerging and struggling readers to sort of embrace story and, and i think the reason for that is is pretty clear it's because uh because there's so much visual context on which these readers who are who are struggling and, and we can't we can't forget how utterly exhausting it is to read in a second language right it is 
exhausting. Exhausting. If it's not your, yeah. I mean, it's exhausting some days to read in our first language. <laughs> this is true. It's exhausting to find a book to read for pleasure. Right. And so then when you, when you add the language on top of it, and then you start adding other things, like the simple realities of the environment in which we often ask our students to read, right? We get students who are so accustomed to uh, being in an environment where they can be surrounded by the music of their choice. And, you know, and, 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 and and then all of a sudden we put them in a room and it's quiet and you and you, and they they have to take a book out and they have to figure out how to focus within that environment what do with, i do with this thing right and do it within like a really constrained period of time right yeah. you have 10 minutes 10 minutes 10 minutes read anything you want we want this to be exceeding yeah, i'll give you choice just go it's the choice is like that's the catalyst right the choice right. is the the thing that's like is going to trigger the students to say oh okay well since you've given me choice right. um this is amazing Right. Says and, no student ever. And, and and it's not that we don't want to provide that. We do. Um, but it's that's what I what a lot of ELA teachers are reporting and why they're so excited about it. A lot of them, because I, I did it in preparation for the workshop that I developed for last year's IFLT. It's the first time I did it. I spent a lot of time trying to research the usage of graphic novels. And, or I should say, I spent a lot of time trying to find research on the usage of graphic novels in right. SLA. And it doesn't exist. There's a ton of it in ELA, and they're all kind of reporting the same thing, which is that students tend to reread the graphic novels more within the free voluntary reading environment. Right. Um, why is that? A lot of them are um, suggesting that it comes a lot of it down to the context or of the of the, the the limited constraints of the free voluntary reading environment in the classroom. How much time do you have? What are you going to grab? You're going to grab the thing where you can dig through more of the story. And graphic novels allow you to do that because there's so much visual storytelling. Well, if you just look at a book cover, right, a lot of emphasis is placed on book covers mm -hmm. because where does your eyes go? Yep, exactly. You know, it was actually um, when I really got interested in doing graphic novels, the idea of creating them for the for an SLA class was actually watching my kid, my boy Colin, and my daughter Anna, but particularly. Colin when he was younger because this is when I started to get really interested in the idea of doing graphic novels in um, in, an, uh, in, in second language acquisition I would watch how he would read and I'm a language acquisition geek of course and so having most of us are here most at of us are right and when you have your own kid you have your own little test subjects right you get to see what they do you get to see how they acquire language and you got your own lab at home <laughs> And so I started watching how he would read, and he read everything. He loved picture books. He was liking chapter books. And when he liked a book, what he would do is he would read, uh, like, let's say he would like fall in love with a novel, and he would read it. He wouldn't put it down. We'd go to a restaurant. He would take it with him. Read, read, read until he was done. And when he was done, he would toss it aside and never go back to it. And I'm not complaining. I'm not saying he should go back to it. I mean, he read it. Right. He read it. He loved it. But with a graphic novel, here's what he would do. He would it's grab the book. <laughs> he would grab the book and he would do the quick read. So this is where he would uh, like flip through the pages really, really fast, consuming all of the images, but probably only 10 to 20% of the text. Now, if he didn't like the book, he'd toss it aside. He'd be done with it. But very frequently he would do more. He would, he would like the book. So what would he do next? He'd do the reread. This time he would read it again, consuming 30 to 50% of the text. Then he'd read it again, consuming a little bit more. By the time he's on the fourth read, he's doing the detailed read. Every single bit of text, consuming it uh, in great detail. At this point, if he's bored with the book, he tosses it aside. But frequently, 
He loves the book. So now he starts taking it with him everywhere. And he starts doing what I call the a la carte read, where he uh, he just opens the book at random to any page, then consumes, you know, reads three to four pages, close the book. Five minutes before the dentist, open up to the middle of the book, read three to four page, close. Same before dinner. And, and that's what the graphic novel gives, is that immediate sense of place in the story. You open it up, you know exactly where you are, you see the picture, and you're ready to consume small pieces of text and help to acquire it. Whereas if you do the same thing with a novel, what do you do? You have to like say, okay, where am I again? Read back, so try to find the start of the chapter. Oh, oh, this is the point where, where this happens. So yeah. I, so I, I do FVR in my classroom and <clears throat> I teach in a uh, Title I school uh, and, I, and they love it. They love reading. Uh, a lot of my students don't get the opportunity to read. Um, and I have uh, both of your uh, Spanish graphic novels. Oh, thanks. Las Botas and La Casa de la Dentista. And I had a, in my Spanish 3-4 class, I had mm-hmm. a really, really reluctant reader. Okay. I had a small class, eight students, um, which I love small class. They're like a blessing. Sure. Um, but he was the only one that did not like FVR. Okay. Nothing. And I don't put your your graphic novels out from FVR because I teach them. Oh, right. Um, I don't teach Billy. He lost both us in three and four, but I do La Casa de la Dentista. Um, And I thought, for the same reasons you just mentioned, right, that I would put just one out Mm -hmm. during that class and see if he'd grab it. And did he dig it? Did he grab it? Did he grab it? He grabbed it. Nice. (laughs) The first day, it was... Back, coming back from a weekend, I was like, I gotta find something to get this kid. Right. I've given him like many. I was like, oh, I did a book talk with him. I read with him. He just wasn't feeling it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I don't want the kid sitting there for ten minutes, you know, or fifteen, whatever. I don't remember the time. It's normally ten, fifteen minutes in my class. Um, so I put it out that Monday. We they come in first period, and uh, he walk over. They walk over. They been trained since august of what to do on how the process works and yep. he looks and he looks and he looks and you know does that like i'm not i'm just going to pick whatever book i can like hide my phone behind right uh and, but he saw la dentista <laughs> and he grabbed it and he flipped through it and he was like i saw him look up i didn't know what he was looking at because I, I was paying attention to him and he looked back down and he looked around and i was like what what is he doing? It's like he's got the book in his hand. Just go sit down. Yeah, I want to know but what I page he was on. I didn't say anything. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what page he was on. Fifteen. Yeah. Oh, that would be a good one. <laughs> that would be a good one. Um, you remind me of a, a Spanish teacher that I that I know that knows every page of Reality is textbook. <laughs> I thought that was scary. Yeah. No, was I, scarier than La Casa de la Dentista. <laughs> she was I, like, "Yeah, the predator and imperfect. Uh, the exercises, blah blah blah, is on page 19. And I was like, "Whoa." You know the page number? <laughs> so anyway, I digress. Yes. Uh, so he grabbed that book and eventually, long story short, um, he he sits down with it and he does that. I have them three days a week mm-hmm. uh, and he does the exact same things that you said your son does with the graphic novels. Yeah. So I'm flipping through it. I wasn't going to put any type of constraint or rules. I just wanted him to do what he wanted to do with that book. Because he wasn't already reading, so what right. did I have to lose, right? Um, and he read it, and he told me, he was like, it, my kids are clever. He was like, Mr. Jeffers, did you put that book out for me? 
And I said, I said, well, maybe I did. But the bigger question is, and the most important question is, did you like it? And he was like, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. And this okay. is coming from a kid. And I, he never really finished that book. Yeah. But he slowly started to develop a love for reading. And it was due to the graphic novel. Oh, that's great so, to hear. As you were saying. You can continue with that thought if you want. It, it, the graphic novels are indeed important. In the they are. Library. But and a lot they, of kids, a lot of teachers, and you've, I'm sure you've heard this, don't want to put them in their FVR libraries because... Well, I think they do think there's... And this is a... A lot of teachers will tell me, and I've had teachers tell me directly to my face. They, I had one teacher articulate to me, I, I just don't really get it she's very nice she said i just want to be honest with you i don't really the get graphic it novel. she said i don't really get it because i mean this is a i'm trying to get my kids to acquire language and the simple reality is there's just nowhere near as much language in the graphic novel as there is in like a reader oh. well and the and 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 that's true but that's actually the point uh, another teacher actually said to me i just don't think this is going to be as useful because the simple reality is that so much of the story is in the images and 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 how can you pull language from that but that's the whole point we don't need to pull language that's from another that. strategy right and a I lot mean, of teachers don't understand that that's another strategy when you see there's a there's an image in the graphic novel la casa de la dentista right where we're at a breakfast scene and it's the first panel in the page where where where, where we can see the that a girl is sitting at the table and she's uh, eating a bowl of oatmeal and we see the mom she's in the foreground and she's standing there with her hands on her hips we can't see her face yet she's standing with her hands on her hips looking at her daughter and the daughter is kind of looking out of the corner of her eye at her mom and you don't have to read a single word to know the following things you know that they're at breakfast you know that it's morning you know that the mom is upset with her, and you know that she knows that the mom is upset with her. You know that their relationship is, uh, you know, a little, there's a little stress to the relationship right now. And all of that is told without a single line of dialogue. A single word. A single word. And so then when when the word is actually there, when they actually pull out the words, and, and we see that the mom is saying, uh, Carolina, did you brush your teeth? Uh, Carolina, te lavaste los dientes? Y Carolina dice... Todavía no. Uh, that's all we need to dig into. And in fact, this is kind of funny, but when I first wrote my first graphic novel, Billy Las Botas, I, I, it, the first version of it was really bad. Fortunately, I realized it was bad before it went to print, but the version that I sent my letter, the person who you know puts the actual text professionally into the graphic novel, I did send it to him. And he went and, 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 and I realized, oh, fortunately, before I sent it to the printer, what the problem was. I was narrating the actions in the story itself. So it, the, it was Billy Las Botas. And at one point, for example, Billy fell down, like he was falling through the air. And I wrote in text on top of the picture, Billy se cayó, Billy fell. And oh, unfortunately, I didn't set it to the printer because I realized right before, oh my gosh, what have I done? Because... I, I had literally narrated what was already in the visuals, thinking that I need to put that text in there because students need to see the text. But the problem is, if you do that, if I had done that, students would have taken the time maybe to read that panel. They would have maybe flipped to the glossary to try to figure out that structure, se cayó, and they would have figured it out and gone, oh, it means Billy fell, which is already right there in the image. And if you do that, if I had done that, 
students are going to figure out that the text and the image are doing the exact same thing. So which one do you think that they're going to pay attention to? Mm, exactly. Yeah. It's a great point. I, it's it's and that's that's why we do it. That's the that's the power of the graphic novel. So I, that reminds me, not to cut you off, that something Christy Placido said mm-hmm. this morning in a session um, here at IFLT nineteen about sometimes students need to be taught how to see a book in mm-hmm. their mind, mm-hmm. right? So I think kind of graphic novels do right. that for us right it, it 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 shows us something and uh and we can we can we can push our energies elsewhere right we can and that's not to say however that that, that a graphic novel that the visual the visual just easy you know i think that people who are not experienced with with graphic novels will very frequently flip through those images fairly quickly and just focus don't, on text and then you miss massive don't story spend time. that's actually um i never was big into comics growing mm-hmm. up and I was that person. Yeah. I would focus on the text. Right. And I would have to go back and look. I'd read the text first and then look at the image. Yeah, because a truly great graphic novel, you put, ton, as the, the author, you put important. so much into the story, individually. Um, yeah. So and that's, that's where the teacher can bring out some of the elements of the, the mm-hmm. image without it, the text. It's it's a truly great graphic novel is a is a is a true balance where both the art and the text are each doing separate things and they complement each other perfectly. And when we do that, when 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 we when we don't write Billy Sekayo and we just have Billy, Billy falling and they learn that. When you have a page in, in an upcoming graphic novel I'm writing called Me Llamo Victor, there's literally a fourteen page sequence that doesn't have a single word of dialogue. Wait a minute. But wait a minute. What's up? Did you just say? <laughs> did you just say? Yes, I said. You it. have an upcoming graphic novel. Yeah, it's going to be something special. Me llamo Victor. It's about uh, Victor from the Guapo music video series as a teenager. It's going to be something special. It's his story. It's his story about how he. Uh, oh, well. <laughs> my good. Did you hear that? Yeah, it's it's really really wonderful story sorry continue with a horribly depressing story but (laughs) and really funny (laughs) oh you're gonna love it i'm sure it's gonna be amazing thank you i'm sure especially if you love the victor trilogy so yeah Yeah. i don't remember what we were talking about but yes victor me llamo victor Uh, it's gonna come out this fall this fall well i'm sure we all look forward to it (laughs) sounds fantastic so um tell us how long you so you said you've been presenting here at iflt this is your third year yes um, what? Tell us a little bit about your language journey. Like, mm, how did um, you? How you know? You just didn't jump into <clears throat> writing graphic novels and making really no, awesome absolutely. music videos, educational videos that are amazing. Thank you. So uh, tell us where your Spanish language journey began, if you don't mind. Well, okay. So I used to think that this story that I'm gonna uh, briefly tell here was fairly unique. Um, I thought I was special. Uh, and it seems that the more people I talk to, the more people have had... Uh, I cannot tell you how many people have said that is literally my story. Um, so I'll do it quickly in case everyone's heard this one a million times. Uh, yeah, but I was, I, was, I, was, I, spent, I was a good student. Take all the time you want. <laughs> I, I was, sure it's fascinating. <laughs> I was a really good student in middle school and high school. I was your, I mean, honor student, good grades and everything, and I got good grades in Spanish. Um, and I hated Spanish. It was my least favorite class of the day. Truthfully. You hated it, but made good grades in it. Well, I mean, I knew how to study the lists. You know? Yeah. I knew how to do that. Beat the game. But but, but the truth is that, I mean, I'm a, I, was a, I was a theater kid 
performed, you know, without, without much worry. I mean, I love to perform. And yet, despite that, Spanish was the one class a day that I was terrified to go into. You know, it's the only class I went into. Because it wasn't a CI class, right? (laughs) It's the only class I went into where I felt like a fraud. You know, the goal was when I went to the Spanish class, the goal was to find a way to not let the teacher know that I didn't know what I was doing. You were that student. Yeah. Oh, I was. I couldn't speak. I couldn't speak. Because those are the students that I look out for. (laughs) Oh, you don't want to participate today. mm. You don't want to do Reader's Theater today. Ah, but see, the key, the key is to figure out what you participate for today i mean here's what i would participate for anytime there could be like a a reading like a text where i could read a paragraph i'll do that because i could imitate an accent really well um anything that required me to produce language real production oh boy that's where i what's where i failed i also had no acquisition right there was zero acquisition and here's how i know it i took it my seventh grade through junior high school I dropped out my senior year. I didn't take language. I didn't take any language my senior year. And then I went to college, uh, Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin. And they had, I found out literally the, 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 the day or s- that I arrived at college, they said, oh, you have a language requirement. I, I, I completely somehow overlooked this, that I had to take a language. So, but I found out they had this, uh, this test you could take where if you could test, pass out of, um, if you could do well on the test, you could pass out of like the one, two or three classes that were required. How well you did on the test determined how many classes you could pass out of. I failed the test like, like miserably. And I'm not somebody who bombed it. Yeah. And I'm not, I, I know I sound like I'm bragging, but I'm not somebody who's accustomed to failing the test that I take. No, you're not. That wouldn't be bragging. Um, I'm just not. And I was really really embarrassed uh truly embarrassed uh because i had i mean my last spanish class was like what 15 months before that and i was getting an a in it and then I, here i am and and i and i and i kid you not they placed me back in spanish one yeah yeah and that and happened. i'm talking that, and it was it was that awesome. happens quite a bit yeah and it was a it was a really even in college it was a traditional so was that a pivotal moment i mean so uh, no. so fast forward <laughs> what no, you think i was, learned from that <laughs> did he learn from his mistakes no listeners i, I <laughs> he said it i didn't so what you know so that's that that's a it seems to be a common theme i think so that recorded mark Mullaney on a podcast previous and uh he was talking about his journey um he did not study language in college is that right all. He was a social studies oh, really? major, teaching license in social studies. Hmm. Could not find a job in social studies. That's a hard gig. To Got find. a job in Spanish. If he could pass the state exam, pass the state exam, and he calls it kitchen Spanish. He learned working in a Mexican restaurant. Yep. That that input mm-hmm. for six years, passed the exam. No formal studying beyond high school. So that was his story for acquisition. Where for you did acquisition begin? Yeah. I mean, this where did it click and when did it become something you're like, okay, I'll, I'll be a Spanish teacher? Because from going from practice and memorization and mm-hmm. being an A student and failing that, that college, um, whatever that name of that test is, uh, it, and it wasn't your aha moment. Yeah, so what happened is um, I was taking Spanish, and I had the opportunity to um, 
go to Costa Rica. And I, uh, of course, was not going to do that until I followed a girl there and went to Costa Rica. <laughs> mm. Good one, Jan. Yeah. So that the, the girl thing didn't work out for me at all. But it did get me. But to, the language did. <laughs> yes, it did. Uh, no, I, 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 the, then here's the thing. Better I, payoffs. I, I fell in love with the country. I don't know that I fell in love with the language, but I got good at the language there. I got good-ish at so the language. Again, um, it was the immersion. It, it was, was the, the it was the immersion. It was the input. Input. And uh, and and yeah, and I started to find that oh my god, it was just it, it started to click for me, and I found it did have some language inside, and uh, and it started to come out. But the interesting thing is that I'm still not somebody who like even in, I mean I did fall in love with it to a point, but here's I don't think I really really truly loved Spanish until I started sharing Spanish with my students. I actually got a teaching degree in both Spanish and in theater, and I actually so you have to back up a little bit. You, so you have a college degree in Spanish, <laughs> yes. right? You studied and formally yes. and, and theater. Yeah, no, I came back from Costa Rica and I and I and I and I uh, and I and I decided to I liked it enough that I got my degree in it and theater. So and, did you change your major or did you add it? Oh, I was like, one was of it the, your first choice. No, Spanish? no, I, I switched to Spanish. Okay, and, yeah. I didn't think I, I was certainly. So what was your first choice? Well, I thought I would be a, a theater kid. <laughs> well, yeah, that was a good thought. <laughs> well, you're right, but you, but this is I, what I find so fascinating about it is that I, even then, again, I lo- I liked Spanish a lot, but even then, when I was getting my my teaching certificate, I thought to myself, well, clearly I'm going to be a theater teacher, and I got clearly. a span yeah, clearly, and I'll get my Spanish uh, teaching degree as a backup. And then I got my first job, which was I could not have been more perfect. Uh, I was a Spanish teacher who got to teach a little bit of theater in a small school in Freedom, Wisconsin, which is just outside of Appleton. Wait, did you just say you got a job to be a Spanish teacher and theater teacher? Uh huh. Yeah, just a little. It was like it was like that is a dream job. I know it was like sixty percent Spanish or eighty. It was somewhere in there. Like most of my classes were Spanish. But I thought that I would love teaching theater, and I thought I would hate teaching Spanish. But the weird thing is that even though I was passionate about theater, I hated teaching theater. All these kids were coming in with all these preconceived notions about what theater was, and I had found a hard time breaking. Because they never do that in Spanish. <laughs> well, they do that, but I, I, found, I know what you're saying. I found that I could totally surprise students with what Spanish was, and I realized I didn't like. I don't think I ever even really looked at spanish as something that could be loved and then all of a sudden i was teaching and i was like holy moly i am i'm in love with this you know what i mean and not just the teaching it the, the language itself and that was the moment when i oddly enough started to like to like look around me the world that i lived in the neighborhood that i lived in is like my next door neighbor speaks spanish two doors down they're from peru and i started reaching out and i started connecting with people and I know that I'm not supposed to do it that way. I know that I'm supposed to come into teaching having these skills developed, but I didn't. I everybody's story is different. There's right. no way you're supposed to come in. In any case, it was it was the beginning to share something that kind of opened up my knowledge that I loved it, and that's when I started putting myself out in the world. And so the passion triggered that aha moment was yeah. in the actual classroom. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, not before. Not that's yeah. I think I think that's exactly right. And 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 I and I'm still on that journey, you know. I mean, I'm I'm constantly trying to improve my language, and I think you can even hear it in my stuff. If you go back to my early stuff, um, puedo ir al baño and stuff like that. I mean, the you know my 
my, my Spanish isn't perfect. Um, you hear my later stuff, the accent is far more refined. I think the language is stronger, but you know what? I don't, I even, I, I, that doesn't embarrass me. Like, I think it's really, really it's part of the journey. It's part of my journey. And I think it's part of our kids journey. Like, I think that it's okay to let students experience Spanish. That's not perfect i think it's okay exactly. for students to see that like can wow. you just say that one more time <laughs> i think it's okay for our students to see and experience spanish that's not absolutely perfect it's not because 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 there's no point where oh my gosh they actually heard a sentence that was mildly pronounced incorrectly therefore their spanish is going to be damaged for life mm. it's it's about letting them know that like we're all that, that this is a lifelong journey right that we're gonna that that nobody's ever going to be perfect at this. The goal is to just put ourselves out there with and have the courage Wait to minute, communicate. Jim. So when I got my license, Ackful told me if I'm at advanced low, I'm qualified to teach. I, yes. I thought I thought I could stop there, <laughs> right? <laughs> Are you at advanced low? Um, do you know your proficiency level? Actually, no. I need to. I need to do the OPI. I think that's. <laughs> I need to do that. I need to sit down. I've taken the state exam and passed it. Does that mean I'm good? Does well, that mean I'm I'm qualified? I think well, I don't know, but I want you to know that I'm privately judging you. I'm assessing you right now, and I think I've determined what your proficiency level is. Vamos a cambiar. Una entrevista en español. Está bien. Listo. A little Spanish for um, some of you guys. So, well, that's a fascinating story of how you became a language teacher. There is no, I think, one way that someone arrives. No. To, to where they are right. in this journey. And here at IFLT, uh, I meet so many teachers that come from so many different, um, they have so many different stories from their journey and where mm -hmm. it began. Um, and it's absolutely fascinating. And uh, from beginning teachers to experienced teachers. Absolutely. Um, I'm doing a lab and um, uh, I am my worst judge, and I've I've caught myself making language mistakes oh, sure. right in front of teaching, not only students but other Spanish teachers, yep. French teachers, German teachers, observing me, looking at me, judging me. No, there's no, no doubt. there's no judging here. I felt it, guys. There's no um, judging, but I mean, but there's you make a mistake, and like you said, this is a journey, and you are continually learning. Mm -hmm. And that's the most important thing. I think a lot of times that I see on social media, Twitter and Facebook, some of these language groups, um, teachers are afraid to make a mistake Absolutely. in their language in front of another teacher. Now, I can tell you, me personally, I simply don't give a beep that out. Uh, I will. Language to me is living. Uh, and if I make a mistake, um, I might feel bad about it inside. Right. But I don't. I don't let it stop me. Yeah. I'll take anyone, student or teacher, who's willing to make a mistake, but is willing to put themselves out there in the world and communicate. I mean, that's the goal, right? It's about communication, but it's more than that. It's about pushing. I mean, communication is essential, but more important, I think, is pushing ourselves to communicate in arenas that we've never communicated before. I mean, that's the fundamental nature of what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to, and that starts simple. That starts with um, simple looking to, our, looking to our right and left at the student who's sitting next to us who we don't know anything about and maybe using the target language in that class to facilitate some sort of communication with a person that we've never communicated before. But we can't stop there. We push out into the community and say, okay, wow, let's open ourselves to our neighbors 
and our friends. But let's not stop there. Let's push ourselves a little bit further. Who do we not know? What do we not know? What situations have we never put ourselves in before? We don't have to go straight to the country right away. You know, we don't have to go. When I, let me rephrase that. We don't have to go straight to a you know a country on a different continent that we know nothing about. That might be the end goal for for a lot of for for a lot of students. But um, but I don't think it's that's necessarily where we need to start. It's about just we can bring the culture to them. We can bring the culture to them, and we can recognize that at it at at its core, what are we trying to do? We are trying to get students to expand their world to something. To which they have not yet expanded their that intercultural confidence, yeah. right? So that's those are very good points, Jim. Well, thank you, Jadeo. Um So, just one more question for mm-hmm. you. This has been an excellent interview. Any advice for teachers listening to this podcast, or um, anywhere for that matter, mm-hmm. uh, aspiring to move their classroom toward a proficiency-based, CI-based strategies classroom? Mm-hmm. Any advice for those teachers? Any, any key takeaways you'd like to share? The single biggest piece of advice I give people who use my site, who use my music videos and things like that when they ask me, is I say just choose the song or the music video based simply on interest, and that's it. Don't choose it based on the apps, the, the the lyrics and how they're lyrically appropriate. Don't choose it that cho- whether it has canos head or sabe. Don't choose it based on thematic unit. Don't choose it on whether don't don't search for songs because maybe you wanted to have you know you want to have a song that does saber conocer or something like that. Just, but if you do that, we won't judge you. We won't judge you. But in terms of what I think is most valuable is just that story because the thing is is if you have a really great piece of visual storytelling whether it's a graphic novel or whether it's a music video or anything like that there is just so much visual context on which stories can glean that story and what ends up happening is that students because they understand so much already they can pull out language a la carte Uh, for example i have a song called encerrada en la escuela which if you only looked at the lyrics of the song it absolutely is not a level one song it's like a level three, maybe even pushing a little bit in a high level three song. It's very advanced and it comes fast. But the story is told visually and it's told visually very, very well. And I've received tons and tons of videos of level one, even elementary level one students using this song in their class. And guess what? They're acquiring little pieces of this song. One of the most common things that they acquire is this one little song where there's one little moment in the song where the girl goes to one of the, the one of the actors in the in the video go, looks over to her friend and says no cantes and <laughs> i love that part right and and that's what we're seeing we're seeing tons and tons of and videos and my students have noticed that specific part right it's simple and it's short and they can still and even though they're not going to no cantes <laughs> no cantes it's beautiful that was genius but but that's it right they're going to they're going to pull that phrase out of it and yes they're not going to pull the language from the more complex sections and that's our job we just throw that out carry toe this title that the chuck it bucket just because there's language in the lyrics doesn't mean that we have a responsibility to teaching that language and getting our students to acquire that language our responsibility is to make sure that students are enjoying the story and that they comprehend the story and then if we do that then just like the little dialogue bubble in a graphic novel, or just like one little lyric in the song, like No Cantes, they get to be the ones that pull that out. And I know this flies in the face with what a lot of language teachers believe, that clearly if there's a song, the focus of the language that they should be trying to learn is the lyrics of the song. 
but I don't think it is. I think the lyrics are something that are come a little more naturally. We we have that melody, we have that rhythm. It gets in our body, and we naturally start to find some of those those lyrics. So, what should we be focusing on? Just a truly great visual story that the students fall in love, that make them want to get repeat viewings, repeat listens, so that they can start to pull some of that language out a la carte. I agree. Well, thank you. So it's nice to be agreed with. I would. Does that uh, make sense? It's nice to be agreed with. Yeah. It's nice to be agreed with. Yeah, it's, it's not nice. very egotistical at all. I feel like there's something weird with that structure. I need it's to. Nice I need to, to be agreed with. I think I need more repetitions in my first language. That, that entrance exam in English. See how well you do. <laughs> I'm an Should go back and revisit that. I think Is there I'm an, an advanced low for in English. English advanced <laughs> low in English. I'm intermediate mid. Yeah. I'm from the south, so yeah, my my yeah. accent automatically. Yeah, you already puts get downgraded no matter what. Intermediate me at all day. <laughs> so I want to thank you for. Um, no, it's been a pleasure being on the. Uh, oh, we're going to close today. out with Flores, huh? I think we're going to close out with Flores because right. uh, this is one of, my, one of my. Can I say this is one of my favorite videos? I mean, do you want me to sing it as we close it out? Do you want to sing it? Let's do it. Do you want to sing the whole thing or do you just want to do a, you want to do a little part? Flores, muchas flores. That's right, this is live, people. Flores por todos lados. It's a beautiful jam. One more verse for us. Flores, muchas flores. Sing it with me, man. Flores, muchas flores. Oh, flores, flow, 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 flores. Yeah, don't really have that part down. Flow, 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 flores. And here's the closer. Craig. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, thanks for <laughs> taking care. For being here. Thanks for having me. <laughs>